0: Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Ray, and my co-host Robert. Hello. And we are back from a coma induced by a turkey weekend. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners over the past week or so, and uh, we are back raring to go. We've got lots to go over from the last two weeks. But first, uh, guys, how was your Thanksgiving? Good. You actually got to celebrate Thanksgiving? uh i worked but uh, i was able to sneak away for at least for thanksgiving dinner and um then i spent when i wasn't working i was at the rink so my son has now played nine games in the last eight days and uh interesting seeing the tournament schedule and how it's a little bit different from 40k and the to side of me kept looking into things but it's been a lot more interesting because um they're now getting into the games that are, they do a pairing system very similar to uh, like Nova and some of the GW events where you play a bunch of games in the beginning of the season, and then they figure out, okay, you belong in this pod. And now we're playing the the game, the teams that were supposed to be in our pod now. And suddenly the games are a little more even, a little more interesting. And um, so we're kind of at that point. And they're playing a little bit better too. Now that they've got a couple games under their belt. And by a couple, I mean... Uh, 21 <laughs> it's been a busy season <laughs> and uh, so it's been fun to watch but it's been from yeah from the to standpoint i've learned uh three critical things is yeah pairings is important giving people incentive to win e win something is important or king you know kind of the lower ranking teams if they can win their pod that's a really big thing and being a destination where there's something to do outside of the games so that's um Pretty consistent from what we've seen in uh warhammer as well yep that is very true i know
1: my thanksgiving was hey you're gonna work from three at three in the afternoon to, to tomorrow so good luck Bro, with that what's up with that <laughs> well i mean yeah. it's a job <laughs> it's whatever but the the having people actually be included for stuff mainly like narrative drive like Going through the entire roster of players and going, you're the best orc. You're the best custode. You're the best this. That's all well and that's all well and good, and will be great. The only downside I see is, is, hey tos, you need to potentially shuck out more money for more materials to give trophies, all of these little things, and then one person shows up with like
0: custodes and ha-ha! Yeah i get a free price oh it's like agents of the imperium you know i'm only playing this to win best in faction you know it's yep what's well, funny something i suggested years ago was when back when frontline gaming first started making terrain they're like you know, what kind of terrain do you want to see and i was like i like the terrain and all can you guys make a trophy? You know, because the first few years I was giving out spelling bee trophies. That's all I could find. That was generic enough, you know, they kind of so at least the people could go home with something. And now, you know, people have now upgraded their trophies a little bit with engraving and stuff like that. But really, it's Games Workshop has, you know, that was part of their those price packets that they're offering to stores. If you run an event, you get these nifty plaques and trophies. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool but that's always been the hard part is making those things from scratch or, you know, I know know certain events do go all out and they make like purity seals and all this fun stuff like that. And to your point, you got to make a whole lot more of those now. It's a pain about (laughs) it. Yeah.
1: I'm looking at the, the best Imperial trophy from (laughs) last scorched earth going still going, how did I win this? Even though it came in something like ninth or something like that. But I mean, when you're going against the guy that wins best painted, and then the best general ends up also being Imperial. I guess you take what's scratch. True. But
0: I get at least, you know, hey, you walked away. And that's something to people do look at that and they go, all right, you know, um, I've, I've definitely been guilty of it in the past. They're like, dude, why don't you switch factions? I was like, because I've already got like eight, three quarters of the season dedicated to this one faction. I have a chance to win best in faction. I'm going to go for it. And uh, even though all of us, you know, the, we're going for it that same year at LVO, we all looked at her like this codex is a piece of junk. <laughs> been, which one of us can go three and two could win it this weekend? You know, was bad. <laughs> yeah. So I like the idea of it um, that they're coming out with that in the future, but um, it kind of goes back to you know, th- it's curious to see how the, how it's all going to pan out. I know we talked about this what was about three episodes ago. I forgot who it was another. Content creator was this griping and moaning about, you know, players who are switching to a codex and then they become best winner of best in faction because they played the codex when it was broken and not the true diehard that stuck with it for mm-hmm. all season long, all 12 months. And you know, it's just like, well, oh, you could just also get better at it I and mean, whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah,
1: the entire scenario of someone playing eighth edition guard for the entirety
0: of ninth edition only to have their book come out. A month before LVO. Yeah. But I mean, it's one of those things where, like, like if Brandon Grant brings Astra Militarum to LVO, I don't think anybody's going to fault him for it. You know, there's not, they're not going to go, like, oh, you just jumped on the latest hotness. And he's always been known as a guard player. And only this season, you know, he's been playing sisters. But then, if, you know, then you get the, the the typical ADD players like, you know, Brad Chester, Raymond Straub, you know, those. <laughs> Just jumping to codex to codex, and
1: um, yeah, and Manny Chima. Manny Chima is probably the worst. I've seen j- him yeah, jump more right. armies of the season than anyone. There were times
0: I think he could jump from one to the next in, in the same tournament, but I don't think that's legal. Yeah, I have to admit really though, I actually though. watched his channel, his Glass Hammer channel, for the first time. It was actually very entertaining and very educational at the same time. Because he was actually explaining, this is what I'm trying to do this turn, and it was almost as educational as like the very early Art of War uh, videos. And because he, you know, mm-hmm. co- faction to jump so much, I bet if you follow the channel on a regular basis, sooner or later your faction will show up.
1: Yeah, I know. in In the case of someone like me, where I have two armies that I'm taking to LVO, I'm gonna have to very quickly change how I play from Friday and Saturday to Sunday if I don't somehow magically go onto day Mm. three of LVO with Custode. Because going from a whole bunch of little dudes on bikes to 10, well, 11 giant stompy robots is not not an easy brain switch.
0: Speaking of preparing for LVO, we had a little bit of news about LVO over the past week.
1: Yes, yes we did. And I think this is definitely going to hurt people playing, shooting exclusive armies, such as Votan, because of the fact that they're... They're really, they're a strong army, they have good shooting, and yes, you can argue that them only moving five inches is a downside, (laughs) whoop dee diddly do! but I think it's more of the issue of, oh, we're going back to 8th edition now, blocking first floors of building, and then you see the entire internet panic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the way it was originally written, you know, the comment, and I kind of got it, but I could see where some of the panic was coming from, but luckily um the head Mm -hmm. judge there john uh, salty john stepped in with a quick note but yeah the idea of the return of the magic box it was just like oh no no not that again um those who are not familiar with that there are a couple pieces of flg terrain in their set it is basically four walls and a ceiling none of which have windows so the per the rules if you're an infantry unit you could duck inside and. completely impenetrable to any shooting because they're you know they're permeable walls and um or breachable walls is the exact keyword and you can't see them so what you would see is like a tiered player throw in um i just blanked on the name uh the guys that Orders, well no, they, Raveners, they specifically Sting put in the guys who can shoot who do not require a line of sight i've thank you oh the they would put those in and so the only way you can kill them is if you get close enough to assault them with infantry through the box, and they would sit inside and just blow your army up because they don't do quite a line of sight, and especially now with guard coming out, they sit there with mm-hmm. all their mortar teams. You Can't kill them. You have to get. You have to charge them. <laughs> and uh, and it's in your case with being uh, like a night player. <laughs> uh, sorry, <laughs> you don't have the reachable keyword. You can't get us. <laughs> <laughs> like
1: sure, you could say like, oh hey, yeah, touching buildings I can now see inside the building. Um true line of sight.
0: Yep. Well crap.
1: And the only reason why I mainly bring up Votan is because with you really starting to play Votan there, Ray, because I'm pretty sure you've built the models faster than I have. Uh I don't
2: know exactly how fast you've built yours, but yes I do basically have two thousand points built. Oh
1: uh, I, I I'm still working through the start collecting box that I got. <laughs> so the the idea of that is you have okay, I know my list is greater theory and I am bringing two land fortresses. Guess how much that hurts land fortress if I can't shoot into a building. It hurts a lot because you have a 10 man squad and I, haha I can delete that squad with my big old rail gun or whatever because the FLG buildings are wide enough to hide like a devil okay, fish and a half by nine. Yeah, they're Real, real wide, but with the trade-off is that if you can't shoot me, I can't, well, if I can't shoot you, you can't shoot, which means your, your long strike and your other devilfish fish or hammerheads there. That's the correct word. They have to fly into the building or on top of the building in order to see, which means I can now shoot you. Yay. But then you have an army like blood angels with sanguinary guard here. Here's eight of them. We're gonna hide inside this building for two turns. You can't touch him ever. And if you charge me, your unit's gonna die.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um. My experience was it was was also very annoying. I remember playing a Gene Stealer Cult player with that. He had the Hive Guard in one building, just ripping apart my army until I had the chance a charge out of reserves to get all because of the it of course it was deep in his deployment zone. So it's just like okay, great, and um. So basically I was literally trying to assault as much as I could so he couldn't shoot me, which was a real pain in the butt. And then the other time was during the Sunday RTT afterward. I had to play a uh, Imperial Knight player who had the loyal 32 in tow. And um, basically I advanced is, you know, first two turn, just get in the building <laughs> because I don't have enough guns to take out multiple nights at this point i was like okay this sucks At we stand there and take a shot and then take a shot back no way i could do it and it got really dumb you know it was just like he's like standing on objectives waiting for me to come out i'm standing on inside the buildings and i'm like come get me and then he finally sent his 32 in and um he was trying to daisy chain them so only like five guys baited into the building fine (laughs) whack guys you know he's And we just kind of stood there Mm -hmm. and looked at each other. And I was like, this is the dumbest game ever. So,
1: I don't know. So, Ray, did you have any fun with magic boxes in 8th edition or even before that? Because I'm pretty sure they existed sometime before that, but the terrain rules just didn't facilitate that.
2: So, the time period that had the magic boxes, I don't believe I played a single... I certainly never was able to go to LVO during that time. So, I don't recall ever having played them, or at least if I did, it was so sad.
1: (laughs) Alright, fair point. I know the idea of a magic box instantly made me think of, okay, if this is going to be a thing, I'm only going to bring one unit of bikes, I'm going to go back to bringing Terminators, because you know how many Terminators I can fit inside a building?
0: I think I had, yeah,
1: and I'll still roll ones.
0: I want to say I had something like eight Grotesques, a squad of witches, and like two units of five... Um, scourges all in the same box. It was so stupid. It was just like, okay, come get me. Well, like
1: when you look at the, the FLG terrain sets, like the, the urban setting, it's just like the orc one where it has a building right in the middle. That box is real big. I could fit my entire custodes army in that box probably.
0: So, okay, the good news is, yeah, the boxes are not coming back. It was later clarified that a terrain piece and they showed the terrain maps from last year's. So every type of terrain map that they will have at LVO, they have now marked with a designation F, meaning that the lower floors will be, the windows will be considered closed, even though the windows modeled may be open at this point.
1: Yeah, like there's one set of terrain that's, kind of notorious for that I'm looking at the the urban corruption set because they're their big buildings have a humongous archway in the middle with like a a chaos gate right in the middle of it so that's okay i'm gonna walk my armager right into that building and he now has line of sight straight through the building that would be incredibly obnoxious so but i mean that's also an armager and that's a little of an extreme case but it's still the, the idea of, I have this big old center window that I can't hide anything out of. And you're right. just able to shoot into it all the time. So you're having to split units.
0: So anyway, it's something to prepare for now, but I don't think it was as big a change. I, I guess my whole thing is, we're month and a half out. And I guess it saves them some time, but it wasn't really that hard to get some Plasticard and just glued over the windows.
1: <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just gotta trust the players to make do because i know in my time of playing with magic boxes there were a lot of times where i was like god dang it this is just really really annoying because i can see you but i can't see you but i understand not messing up painted terrain because that would just look really really just a thought so i am going to be a nosy little orc janitor and i'm going to rewind us about a week back in time. Actually, a little bit less than a week. Let's go with five days. The, uh, the yes. online preview stuff. Yes. Who is excited for the totally not a demon prince, demon prince? This thing looks yes. amazing.
0: Uh, wow. Uh, I'm so excited to find out what this thing does, what this has to do with you know what new direction it's going to be, what kind of rules this thing has, and what it has to do with the Arcs of Omen.
1: The, the thing that gets me is... When they talk about it in the form of the narrative books, like, yes, we're familiar with Vigilus, where it was only two. Psychic Awakening was nine books. But the book series that made me, like, really chuckle was back in the old Warhammer fantasy days during the end time. There were exactly three... No, there was, like, four books. Because there was Nagash, there was Archeon, there was Thinkle and Bone Ripper for Skaven, and then there was the Glotkin for Nurgle all those end time books super big deal because it gave you bonus rules for specifically that character and their their stuff and also has a humongous lore book attached so that's kind of the feeling i'm getting from arcs of omen they
2: specifically said there would no be there were no apples outside us
1: yeah and that makes sense because having rules attached to narratively driven books is kind of a bad idea (laughs) the souped up shock attack and- gun
0: yeah I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly yeah how are they going to make this work and how are they going to get this to to market at this point what's i like the idea of separating this book is a narrative book this is a match playbook that sort of thing because i don't want to have to nothing's more frustrating than you know buying some of those campaign books and, and realistically i only need these last four pages because I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they were bad products. They were really good if you had the time and uh, to play some of those scripted, you know, like the Book of Rust and uh, Book of Fire and stuff like that. Those scripted uh, campaigns, they were really cool. You know, and you didn't have to get into the Crusade method to do it too. So that was kind of nice. But it was almost like every product was trying to be everything for everyone. And in the end everybody just got like, I paid forty bucks for what now? So
1: Yeah. It's also kind of the same thing that happened with the Psychic Awakening books. Like, sure that brought a lot of armies up to snuff at the end of eighth edition, but like orcs. You bought the saga of the wolf, you bought it to get Gazgul's rules. (laughs) That's it.
0: Like you really Yeah, the Psychic Awakenings in general were because they're one thing, they were very uneven. That was problem one. Like some books were like like, if you're a Necron player, Psychic Awakenings was a waste of time.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. I bought the collector's
0: edition. Um, whereas, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, some books were just like, typically, you know, this, like, oh, you must have this to play. And then other ones, I want to say the very first one, the the Eldar one, when I had Drakari, Suriani, and then at that point, the totally redesigned Denari in there, you're like, oh, okay. What am I going to do with this now? And mm-hmm. I think the bigger thing I got kind of fell flat on was it was neither an awakening nor was it psychic. It was, okay, something really big is going to happen to the universe. And nothing happened. You know?
1: Yeah. The only big thing that happened was shown off right at the end of Pariah. And it was just a big old name drop of the Silent King.
0: That's well, there was really about like, it. It helped me hear Ray with the lore stuff. They had, you know, Changeling fooled the Dark Angels to drop bombs on Fenris again. Seemed to have had no effect whatsoever. So I was like, okay. That would have been a really interesting rift that they don't get along even further, that they have open warfare between these two chapters. Um, these constant visions of angels and the emperor helping imperial forces. So I, for the first time, I thought the reason they call it Chaos Demon Codex is there's actually going to be an imperial demons uh, coming out. And they're like these... And that's how they're going to bring the Legion of the Dam in with uh, ghostly figures that come to help those who are faithful to the Emperor. Nope, nope, none of that happened. And then, exact
2: opposite. Happens. yeah,
0: and then um, the whole, we're going to round up all the psychers and then we're going to feed them to Magnus. What happened with that? <laughs> yeah,
1: it just, it honestly kind of did feel like a humongous flop. Of a whole bunch of narrative stuff. Because I know in one of the Psychics, they actually made mention of a battalion of guardsmen. They ran into yep. Fulgrim. Like, Fulgrim had a a name. They didn't have a name drop, but you kind of knew who it was. Because we've never seen a Sinesh demon have six arms and a
0: snake tail. Yeah. And you also had a named demon prince in one of those. And they never got rules in the Codex. So that was frustrating. Yeah, there's like I
1: understand it was like a minor narrative push to, oh, the Silent King has come back. Yeah, booga 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 booga. Um, but with with that, that definitely feeds into the the interesting thought I've seen pop up on the internet that we were going to talk about tonight. Where does does narrative theme actually add to competitive events like the? the Games Workshop Grand Narrative that happened, it was literally said that, oh, you are part of A, B, or C, and whatever faction wins this event in the next chunk of narrative, that's how we're going to write this story.
0: It was really cool, and it was a very largely attended event, and uh, to to add to it is the way they ran it. Um, I spoke to three people that actually attended the event. So one of the things that's, from a TO standpoint, so I'm putting my TO hat on here, over my headphones, it looks really good. Good thing we don't have video here. And one of the things when you look at convention centers is getting the big hall for the competitive event is very expensive. And one way you can curb costs is by vendors. Another one is a room block for overnight visits. But they also have all these like little rooms on the side. And that's usually where they tuck away like the hobby events, you know, the uh, painting instructions and stuff like that. What they did with this narrative event is, okay. you're on the Imperial side. Okay, go down to room four. And then in room four, every table in room four was set up to a specific theme. So for example, one would be like a desert planet that was infested by orcs. Or another one was more a uh, industrial hive city uh, from an Imperial land. So the idea is you're playing. And then the story was you're playing on this planet. And these is going to be your opposition. Uh, and then the person who's giving you the brief isn't just some neckbeard TO or judge. It's a guy in full cosplay representing your faction. So they had like a dark apostle for the chaos side. They had this like a commissar for the imperial side. And they had an Eldar Farseer for the unaffiliated it was, so they, they had a lot more theme going on and they had extra characters and then even had like briefing rooms they had the candles and the skulls so it felt like that gothic feel going and um, so you went into that room and then you, you kind of like a team event uh, okay Ray you're going to play that guy uh, Robert you're going to play this guy and I'll take this guy and we'll see how we as a team win this event and see if we can change the course of the story then round two, you went to a different room and you started the whole thing over again. And from a TO standpoint, it's really cool because now you're using up space that normally would be ignored. you never use those little conference rooms. And if you can get an extra 50, 60 people to the event... All of a sudden that, yeah, okay, it doesn't add to your ITC number for first round appearances for your competitive event, but it helps bring the cost down, especially if you can't get 300 people to come to your event. Because I can get 60 players who have one interest and 60 players that have another interest. Suddenly I've got a 120-person event. I've got leverage to work with this hotel. Yeah, like I would love to go and do that. I I would love
1: to send in my my war boss of Zug God Go Fast, the fastest Red Suns war boss that's ever been known because his boss launched himself into the moon. I would love to have that be driven into the narrative. Like, the Evil Suns leads the wall into the first table and gets decimated by a freaking warlord titan or something, but then the rest of the wall comes up right behind it yeah. and pulls it down to the ground. Like A
0: lot great. of the characters that we all know and love were simply the named characters based off of the playtesters from the very early editions of the game. So, you know, Lionel Johnson, it's, yeah, it's, it's, he's one of the guys who used to work there. And it's kind of, you know, made his name a little sound a little different. So it fits in. So same thing with uh, Gosgul Thraka, was uh, Andy Chambers' uh, war boss. And then they kind of added some more story and mm-hmm. background. And now he's a pivotal part of the game. But um, yeah, it, it, there once was a time he was nothing more than an ordinary war boss with a cool paint job.
1: Yeah. And, that's actually a really interesting thing, because you would have, like, if we all showed up playing a Xenos faction, we would obviously have you playing Drakari, I'd be showing up with Orcs, and then we would have the one random League of
0: Otan with Rey showing
1: up and going, what the, <laughs> hell are you, what the heck are you doing here?
0: But there were you know, a couple of little things that came up, too. It's just when you think about when you run things like that, because we did that back in the day. Um, it was Istavan 4, I think it was, or Icar 4. It was a global campaign. And this was It's going to sound so archaic. You had to mail in your battle reports, because I don't think the internet was a big thing back then. And um, But mm-hmm. basically, what you did is every month in White Dwarfs is these are the three missions. And you went to your local game store, and you played them and and then they would also show okay here's this design studio playing a game from the one of these missions so you get an idea what it looks like you're looking at their awesome terrain and some of their ideas you know and one of them was it was a a full four foot by six foot table that was nothing but one giant cathedral and stuff like that and i remember uh, the local game store was like can you build that i'm like yeah sure by saturday i'm like no but all right i'll try and uh, and um the fun part with that was, I sh- <laughs> the guy wasn't running the event all that well. So we had three Imperial players show up and for that first game, and I was the only uh, evil side, so I had to play. <laughs> I had a 6,000-point army versus three 2,000-point armies. I had quite the headache at the end of the game. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, stop it. But I still remember that game. It was a ton of fun. Was it the most competitive game? Eh, Probably not, but it was fun. But it's just an interesting way to draw some more people into the, you know, now you're running parallel events. And organized play is not all about match play anymore, but there's still, you know, a lot of fun that you can bring in. And then, because one reason why one of the tournaments we want to talk about is, is one of the old favorites that kind of got lost in the shuffle this week so and there's there's more to running a great tournament than maxing out thousands of players
1: because i know if i were to sit down and play any of you like yes we could sit down play like two or three competitive games in a day and all right cool we did a little three-man round robin how did we all do Blah 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 what can we do better it's not the Oh, yeah, no. Remember that moment where my Beast Boss on Squigasaur got into the Land Fortress and somehow teared that thing apart, but then got blasted to
0: bits by the guys that were inside of it? We never hear about those anymore. Yeah, not much. And um, it, it, But I think the way they also ran these events were fair, because uh, one of the things that used to drive me nuts and people said, oh, it's a casual game. So, for example, when I went to my very first Games Day, they had this like square shaped table so basically each little section was your little 500 points that you got to bring and you got to fight and then randomly the ggw guy says let me hear this side of the side of the hall yell wog and then over here you got let me hear your wall let me hear your all right you guys were the loudest and then he puts down like a a titan on their side you're like okay i've got 500 <laughs> points of t3 i'm screwed thanks guess we weren't loud enough <laughs> and to me that wasn't fun you know
1: <laughs> yeah no that that's a little um, silly. So that's something
0: that's one thing that turned me off the other thing that turned me off is why i got into warhammer you know back in the, the the real dark ages i used to play a lot of historical gaming and at first i thought well maybe i just haven't found the right time period that i'm looking for maybe I just haven't found the right game and i think it was like you know I'm, you know i'm very um, stubborn, trying to find the right thing. I think it was on my 12th game game system. We were playing War on the Falklands. I'm like, okay, cool. It's modern warfare. It's it's current. It's timely. And basically what it comes down to is, if you're the Argentinians, you have one path to victory. And hopefully you can like score multiple four-ups so you can sink the British carrier before day three. Otherwise, you're just trying to mitigate the lose by a smallest margin as possible i'm like who wants to play that and that's you're expected to lose it's how how little you lose by determines your success like this sucks why would i do that
1: (laughs) yeah i'm i'm just so glad that the only miniatures game that i've played has been warhammer make sure i've gotten into other ones but every single miniature game that has stuck around in my library to really enjoy so far has been warhammer War Machine is definitely going to be there, but that's like a personal thing, and that's going to be a lot of just, I want to play yeah. something different
0: for a while. Yeah, for me, Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, literally just kind of flipping through my old comic books, I'm like, I want to recreate this issue. Here's the big fight. Let's, let's put the models on the table. Let's, is it semi-balanced? All right, let's make it happen. I'm super excited to do stuff like that again. So... Mm-hmm. But uh, no, from the event, there's, so that's so yes. Yeah, so so far, we covered yes. There's no panic in terrain. <laughs> LVL will not be using magic boxes, nor will they be using GW terrain. So we covered that. Uh, the narrative event may be a lucrative ways to keep the competitive scene alive as a side uh, source of business.
2: Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paint brushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.
1: Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro-Nom-Nom-Nom-Nom-Nom to replace your average pizza decided to come out with another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll perils of the warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play indie. So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom, Nom.
2: Hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me, and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your uh, armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models. And if you, when you order, they come fast. The order is right. And for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com. And when you place your order, be sure to mention the house Podcast.
0: One other rumor we had talked... I'm trying to remember, Robert, did we talk about this on the air? About the double elimination system? Or did, did we just kind of banter back and forth between the three of us?
1: I think we bantered about it a little bit off air, and then we might have talked about it with like just passing comment and opinion. But yeah, no, the as far as we can tell, in the entirety of the competitive news, there has not been a single word of it, which usually means yeah. So they actually
0: it was designed specifically for this champions event so if you're running a 200 person event you're not going to be seeing double elimination what they did is they wanted the the top 16 whatever it was top 8 top 16 i think it was players from all the other us opens Mm -hmm. and rather than a one and done they gave them a double elimination route so and that actually came into play where the eventual champion actually dropped a game early and then had to beat the uh, to, to secure the championship, he had to defeat the undefeated player twice to win the tournament. Okay, for a small 16-person event, perfect. Okay, we get that. That makes a lot more sense. The idea that, thank you for coming, uh, the 20, you know, 100-person event, the 25 of you who are now 0-2, you can go home now. That, oh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd make it,
1: you could... Go, all right, cool. I'm going to bring a really bad army. I'm going to pay my way. But part of my way there was hey, guess what? We're going to go to this theme park right after I lose two games. Give me like two hours. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> so was, yeah, that was another big panic that came across the airwaves and of the internets there. And we're like, okay, not a big change. So, no, this is just a way of making a small, small, event similar to an invitational run a little differently so it was bad dice <clears throat> but actually when it comes into an interesting plan is that i've got a bad matchup so for example um my army against either of your t- two armies right now whether it be votan or knights not a good matchup for me and i gotta figure out a way to beat you twice Ooh, <laughs> i really so that that makes it very exciting mm-hmm. that's, and it's you know you never want to blame the dice, but there are games that are won or lost just by bad dice rolls. So it's rare to see that happen in two games. So I think that was some of the mentality behind it. And I think it worked out pretty well, actually. Yeah, I would definitely agree for smaller scale
1: stuff. It would be double elimination is a very efficient one because it at least gives people a chance to continue playing. But if they don't have the heart to really try to win their games after they're first lost. Then, okay, you lose a second time, you're out, and you can just yes. go enjoy your vacation. No harm, no foul. So pretty cool stuff there.
0: We talked a little bit about the, the new Demon Prince. that's not a Demon Prince. What do you guys think of the new World Eater stuff? I'll let Ray take this one first, <laughs> because I've been doing a lot of rambling. Well,
2: it, it was actually really neat to see... Eight bound it's so-
0: Exalted 8-bound.
2: Which I see a huge difference.
1: Well, the, the differences that I could tell from... Exalted and normal ape. The exalted ape bound almost always had two handed weapons, so big war glaives or big axes. Whereas the normal ape bound, it was here's one axe and one of something else.
2: Yeah, but we don't know how much of that was just aesthetic choosing. That's
1: that's that's outside
2: of that. It's kind of neat seeing that they have this four stuff juggernauts, which I I gotta be honest. I guess it makes sense. Basically, the name of the other guy that's on.
1: Oh, yeah, the <laughs> character that can fly.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, everything looks cool. Models that we get, seen, picture, land raiders. That's not really new. Nobody ain't grown already at this point.
1: Yeah, the, for me, the, the World Eaters thing, it's very much, a, we promised you guys this release some point during the year. Yada, 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 yada. And the 8-Bound the look cool, but I much rather would have had here's actual Red books that aren't from Forge, but no. <laughs> nope. No, no red. At least, not model wise. I'm pretty sure they're a upgrade somewhere in the book. But
2: one thing that did also kind of come to mind looking at all this was that some of the stuff what was
1: on... yeah. I mean, it was for me. It was the names just sounded funny. Like, why would they call them eight bound? I don't know. Oh, here's the reason. They have eight demons shoved inside of a mortal's body. Okay. Yeah.
2: Was that what it said?
1: Yeah. That's literally why they're called eight bound. They are just possessed that haven't <laughs> gone full de- uh, yeah,
2: and here i thought it was just because eight was cool.
1: no no each of them suckers is jammed full of a couple of demons and they're big and scary yeah, and the exalted are just be- bigger and scarier <laughs> but no i'm i just know that playing world eaters people are going to go all right here's angron he's 360 points I'm going to throw him at you. And if I kill enough stuff, I can bring back Angron. That really just, like, (laughs) can't do with Maturion. You can't do that with Magnus. But you can do it with the angriest Primarch to ever exist. He is just too angry to die.
2: Well, and if I hear anybody come, inevitably people are going to say someone who collects Thousand suns. This is come time.
1: Yeah, that does really suck. Because you, there's no... World Eater Havoc, so you don't have a really big shooting base outside of a little bit. You you don't get all of the other. Well, they get yes. Muller fiends and Forge fiends. Well, don't they? we assume we're not 100 percent sure yet. Yes, yeah. I mean, so you get some of it, but you don't get all of it because when you think about it reasonably, a Loyalist Space Marine Legion, they're all almost Codex compliant, so they all get the same toy. Chaos Legions are that of Legions. They are unique. They are identifiable until you get to not Thousand Sons, not Death Guard, not World Eaters, and almost not Emperor's Children. Because outside of Death Guard and Thousand Sons and now World Eaters, every single other
0: Chaos-based Marine Legion get to play with all the same toys. Yeah, I'm still trying to... It's like I like the idea that they have their, each faction now is kind of coming out with their own unique cultists. And um, I kind of agree. I was kind of confused about the whole, okay... No red butchers but we have this new army their own type of possessed okay cool whatever but it felt like you've got assault and you've got elite assault and then you have another assault marine it's almost like you got a peanut butter and peanut butter sandwich i was kind of hoping for like i know the corn uh, demons have the cannon type thing which i'm not a big fan of the model but it's, it has potential i was kind of hoping they'd Back in the old days of fantasy, there was that really cool skull cannon from the Chaos Dwarves. I was hoping they would come back with something like that, just to give them some shooting to mix it up a little
1: bit. Yeah, or like, because when you actually think about the Corn Demons, you have the Skull Throne, which is a character. And then you have the Skull Cannon, which is a heavy support. So there's also apparently um, an army of renown that's built into the book where you get to do Corn Demonkin. Oh, that'd be cool. Or something like that. So, yeah, I think that's going to exist. So that's not crazy, But it'll definitely be interesting because here's here's at most 30 bloodletters, maybe.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to... Yeah, the, the new... Was it 25%? Is now what you can put in to a Chaos Space Marine army?
1: Yeah, so it's basically for every... You can have 75% your legion and then 25% of corresponding demon detachment or something that matches your it's god keyword yeah
0: which i guess is i mean we've seen it enough time on the aldari side of things where like why am i one little patrol of harlequins and it's like well that's 900 points of harlequins you've got there sir <laughs> no no though no, they're just allies really <laughs> so um yeah i guess it's one way to, to to control it that way a little bit but those are the days i do miss was the you got the uber elite uh Space, Chaos Space Marines followed by hordes of demons, and it's a little hard to pull off these days, but oh well, that's probably the right direction. So
1: Yeah, I mean, otherwise it's going to, it's going to be a pretty fun time for everyone, because we have another actually heavily assault-based army that is going to come into the game just after two heavily shooting just got their new books. So, yeah, it'll be refreshing to see people actually try to play world leaders outside of double fighting berserkers okay i'm dead okay
0: now one little thing i'm gonna start a little rumor here if you're looking at the warhammer community page and they have various pictures of all the world leaders there's the one with the uh multiple land raiders and a whole bunch of terminators piling out and they're beating up a couple uh imperial guard not the exciting part Move to the bottom right of that particular picture and you'll notice there's some terrain they're fighting over. Is this new terrain hidden in plain sight? Doing my best Spiky Pits impression.
1: Well, I know my original thought was when I actually looked it back over before we started. There was old GW mausoleum set that they had for Age of Sigmar that is now no longer in print. That had low-raised steps like that and had little archway buildings so it could have been that, but yeah, the icon, um, the artwork on the side is a little different is a little different for the aesthetic. Now, I
2: gotta be honest, I don't remember ever seeing that. But it's something that's going to be sold.
1: Yeah, I know the when the Ozark Bone Reapers were coming out, and people were like, "Oh my God, what's that big skeleton wall, bro?" They commissioned someone to make a custom bone like bone fortress
0: wall yeah that that's not an actual three. i was like, to buy that i was like what um yeah i would have bought like three or four sets of that you know, because awesome um another one another one too if you look at the um corsair uh release in kill team all those cool eldar uh, ve- you know webway gates veins i mm. haven't come out yet uh, are they coming out, or are they just forever going to be locked away in the vault along with the Tau terrain that they have in every picture?
1: <laughs> I mean, if you, well, I checked on the website before the show. I think they had some of the Tau terrain available, like
0: very specific pieces. But I mean, it's Tau terrain. They, they always have the fortifications, <laughs> but they never have the they said they'd, the the landing pads and stuff like that you see in the pictures. You are like, where are those? And yeah, they're coming out yeah but uh one of the reasons
2: i do kind of wish to have a separate company just for just have like a licensing agreement hey you guys can make all them do it
0: they could do that or i think they just i wish they would yeah it's easier said than done because you have to look at it by a sprue by sprue basis but basically like hey this is what you can build for if you buy these sprues and package it that way and um because they're all interchangeable. Even the Necromunda stuff uh, that's come out is all interchangeable with the Kill Team stuff and the 40k stuff.
1: I would know the the Age mm-hmm. of Sigmar terrain that I've been buying
0: purely for Dungeons and right? Dragons. I could see that. So, but uh, I mean, it's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's just ridiculously expensive for. From a terrain, from a TO standpoint, the idea of uh, um, you know thirty tables of nothing but GW terrain, but a few pieces here and there would be kind of nice. A few show tables, that'd be good. So,
1: yeah, I, I do think it's about time though that we actually find a yeah. little lost <laughs> event
0: that happened. Uh, that the once and mighty uh, <laughs> Renegade open. So why is this so important? there was once it was a time that uh, when the ITC still stood for Independent Tournament Circuit. And the idea was we were still not unified in a tournament format like we are now under like Nephilim and Nachbun missions. And these guys came up with a revolutionary way of doing tournaments and really got a lot of people's attention because the idea was that you could pick your mission versus what your other so you and your opponent may, may not be playing the same mission at the same time but the idea was you had to pick it wisely because you only could take one mission per day so they had three missions on day one three missions on day two if you decide i'm going to take the this particular mission round one and i take it against ray and then i go up against robert and go i really should have played mission one against robert but too late i've already used it this weekend or this day i can't have to wait till day two to try it again so it was a very revolutionary idea, and it was also it's one of the last events in the Lord Marshall series. So it's a huge event for the big for the Midwest area. Kind of got lost in, <laughs> in the shuffle this year, and I feel bad for them. So yeah, I definitely remember hearing
1: the Renegade Open being talked about a cup for a good like year or two before COVID obviously took the entire scene and put it on its butt, and before I really started exploring competitive play. Because it was a big deal. Because, yeah, it was, well, if you do well at Renegade Open, might not do well somewhere else. It was that scenario of, oh, I went and won Nova, but I can't win Adeptic right. because they're two different formats.
0: Very much so. so. So I don't know. It seems like that alternate system is by the wayside at this point. I think they're just running standard uh, Nephilim missions at this point. So... But uh, like I said, it's still the exclamation point to the Lord Marshal series. So let's take a look at the event. Yep. So
1: out of the top five folk, they had a whopping sixty-nine people at least sign up, and it looks like everyone but five, six people actually stayed and played all five rounds. That's quite a testament. So we go to the, so we go to the top five here. We have Lauren Burns playing Chaos Knights. We have Kyle Thompson playing pure harlequin we have kevin leonard playing demons we have tyler brodarius playing also harlequin. and Devin orchard playing necrons i'm pretty sure the list is still roughly the same as it was before but ah <laughs> had frogs yeah no it's very much still the same except for instead of three extra heavy destroyers Oh, I have a, a long time. Yeah, I know. I got three of them suckers, and I'm just playing them. But yeah, otherwise, it's very much still the same thing. A lot of wraiths, a lot of destroyers, um, some immortals, plasma a couple of characters. A brick of ten Lich guard. This man does what I do, where it's just, nah, I'm going to max out a unit of one, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be awesome. What um, sub faction do you play? Oh, uh, let me double-check. So, oh. Uh, he was playing Novoke. So I remember back at the start of my if you weren't playing the custom Dynasty combo, which we still see now a lot today, the other version that you could see was Novoke because you could bring, obviously, some really cheap characters in cryptek, and then you rounded out your HQ slot with, instead of an Overlord, brought someone like onrakir the Traveler who can exist in any Dynasty because agent, and yeah, no, you just ran forward. You made yourself really scary in combat, like with one or two CP investment. Maybe you could have your Necron Warriors swinging at strength six with an extra attack. That sounds a little rough. I mean, yeah, I yeah. mean, Necron Warrior melee isn't great, but it's still you're still having to dig through 20 bodies in melee at that. And then the Wraiths get the bonuses, and so do all the Destroyers, and so do the Lich Guard. So yeah, this is very much the melee ball of we walk around the Silent King and we get re-rolls. <laughs> like, just we walk here, we bonk all the stuff there, and then we walk over there and bonk all the stuff there. And then we walk over here and we repeat the process until you're either dead
0: or the game's over. Yeah, nice to see a little kind of flashback a little bit to the old days, but um curious. You know, just it's like it's not the usual aggressive expansionist, whatever it's called. You know, the...
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah eternal conquerors and relentless expansionists so it's he he had a really solid re- uh Devin had a really solid record all weekend except for his round three against Gil Mavey I think is how you say his last name where he scored less than 90 points because he was playing in two sisters who that's a lot that's a lot of retributors a couple of emulators and a Dominion squad. I haven't seen those units in at
0: well, least say seven months. All those months. models were metal that <laughs> he was playing. He, he, he's just a guy who probably had these models forever and knows exactly what they do. And they're like, oh, are they good again? Let me find out. Yeah. I mean, he does have
1: the S and Morven Vol in there. But he also has a, a five-girl big squad of Death Cult Assassin. I'm assuming they do the same thing as Servitors. They are just cheap and they stand at places. Um, I think they can even do actions too, right? Yeah, they can do actions because they're they're not locked into anything super crazy. the The one list that I did want to touch on is actually Lauren Burns, the the Chaos Knight player that came in fifth. And at this point, from what I know, this is very much the army that you list yourself under, and you go, "Yeah, no, I'm actually playing Chaos Soup because I just mm. bring Chaos good stuff." So it's a patrol detachment of chaos undivided demons you have chain you have the change caster trance weaver a minimum squad of blue horrors and then a unit of flamer because those flamers are just obnoxious and then you have abaddon in a supreme command detachment and then here's your entire super heavy detachment of one two three four five war dog brigands so the chain cannon and the melt a gun and then one two three four Executioners, the auto cannon, and then a stalker, which is the brigand with a chain cannon and a chainsaw. Yay.
0: Yay, chaos! Good stuff. Yeah, it's one of those you're kind of like, is that really a knight's nice renegade list? Not really. So no, yeah. this is this is just chaos. A little bit of everything <laughs> there. So pretty cool stuff uh, all the way around. Um, some other neat lists further down the, the the pike here. I was looking like I was looking at there were some interesting ideas, but. Um, Overall, you know, kind of interesting times at this point. Kind of looking ahead here, it's, you know, really you're running, to, you know, the events, you know, we're kind of in the holiday season. It was a pretty light week this past weekend. And, uh, pretty only have like two or three more weeks before, you know, you, you start getting into the Christmas season. And then you only have um, a few weeks in January before you're actually heading off to LVO. So, uh practiced games are gonna be uh
1: hard to find. Yep, I am learning that very quickly with our little local league because I've played I've gotten three games in, but they've all with, been with people from different stores.
0: And I'm like, that's right, I need yeah. to play people from my own store. Yeah, I'm it's gonna have the same boat as well, trying to squeeze in a game here and there. I'm like okay, how am I gonna make this work? So it's gonna be a little tricky. So get some points and get some practice in before and some yeah key points to uh, the very least to get a chance in the playoffs little ITC points before the end of the year.
1: And what about you, Ray? I know your schedule out of all of us is probably the wackiest.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm hoping to be able to get a couple games in pretty soon. We'll see how things actually go.
1: I know with my recent schedule change at work, I'm now actually free on weekends. So if either of you or any of our local listeners want to play me, you can, you know, ask us on the Facebook page or you can like just kind of prowl, prowl Facebook, and you'll eventually find me
0: set up games and stuff because I like meeting people. I'll definitely take them up on it. It'll be a wonderful game. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. So it'll be really cool. And as you see, we seem to be able to travel anywhere in the, the local Until... area. <laughs> so eh, it's not like I drive out to Goodyear <laughs> on a weekly basis, man. So that's um, covers kind of our tournament coverage for this week. Like I said, a little light this week uh, with the holiday here in the states but uh, expect to see a few more events before the end of the year kind of set the tone for uh, LVO and we'll get into our LVO uh, predictions as we get closer to the event. Um, Any other thoughts from this past week that you maybe saw from the preview or anything like that? Actually. Yeah.
1: Did we already talk about the, the qualifier thing? I know that was like a, maybe two weeks ago when they brought it up. The F L G qualifier thing for their event. Are you talking about the whole
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we did talk about that. I'm having nope, my, not at all. Actually, was, yep, we did co- cover that. Uh, but settling in a little bit uh, more, I think about it. You know, more. It's kind of a. I don't think it's going to have a big effect as everyone thinks. I think the best faction probably has a bigger effect on how people play than you know limiting the top twenty four players for the first few rounds of a thousand person event. It's Pretty pretty minimal, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Mm. But um, it does give you incentives, and uh, to and I think the way Games Workshop ran it was: you attend our events, you do good, you get invited to a special event that only you you can't buy tickets for. Okay, that's that's pretty cool too. Uh, that gives me incentive to go to your events then as well. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's starting to cannibalize some of the other medium-sized events. We said what Renegade Open had sixty something players. It had at the end of it, it had sixty-three players left. So um, uh, that was an event that easily had over a hundred. So it's like, ooh, what happened? So
1: yeah, um the only other thing that I was thinking about was okay. yep, nope, I there was a it, Meta Watch
0: video. Um, Trying to read between the tea leaves and, and over analyzing one thing that was pretty obvious. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Robert, when you're going over the chaos soup list. Um, Flamers of Zeech expect a nerf any, <laughs> sometime soon. Excellent. Oh, and I actually remember what my thought was. Um,
1: potential guard FAQ before F A before LVO because if you remember, there was an FAQ for Custodes right before the last LVO. Where it dropped Trajan's points and everything else. Kind of like a, oh, here you go. Kind of FAQ. So potentially, uh, an FAQ for Imperial Guard right before LVO? Um,
0: I mean, definitely mm-hmm. to clear up, do they still get the lack of negative effects to indirect fire? Because it's not mentioned in the Codex. So, curious if that's still a thing. But uh, I'm going to clear a couple other. Armor Contempt is no longer a thing on their tanks. So, I guess that's clarified. The way they do it, it, it doesn't... I th- I'm trying to remember the exact wording of the rules, but I guess it's, it's no longer a thing in the rulebook either. But yeah, there's some clarity that they could probably run through. In addition to that, I could also see them clarifying do Tyranid Warriors ever get their mini transhuman back or not? Um, Because they seem to like the big monsters get it, the little grubblies get a a weaker version, but the Warriors are kind of in between and get nothing. So I'm curious to see if that was on purpose or not.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, that's all I got. Random (laughs) ADD gold.
0: (laughs) So, there we have it. Um, Got you all caught up from all things uh, from the last two weeks. We'll be back uh, next week at our regular time uh, before we head into the Christmas holiday. Uh, Remember, the holiday boxes are here, so very excited about those. I've not seen them in my local store, though, so I don't know if they're a website only thing. No, they're
2: pre releases. So,
0: I wouldn't expect to see them for a
1: little while. And if they get in early then well you can't exactly walk away with it until
0: they're actually so there we have it uh so thank you again for listening but uh my name's eric thanks for listening to the exterminatus podcast